This is the Powered Up Podcast, show 19. But if we can truly say we did what was best for the kid, um, you know, I can defend that. I can say, hey, we might have made a mistake, but we were doing what was best for that kid. Welcome to a real-world education with insight and advice from teachers in the game, where current and former educators reveal what truly sets apart the great teachers and what it takes to make a positive impact on students. Whether you're in pre-service learning, new to the game, or a seasoned veteran, this is the show for you. You'll leave feeling inspired to take action because we are powering education by empowering you. What's going on, everyone? This is Ken Ehrman, host of the Powered Up Podcast, and I am here with my co-host, Mr. Matt Superflex Rogers. Matt, what's going on? Superflex, where is that coming? I'm, from? I'm giving you some nice compliments recently. Right. We talked about we talked about Superflex or being flexible, something like that, yeah. in, in our show tonight. Very um, well. So to uh, to start things off, how has an admin supported your growth as a teacher? Such a great question. I think one of the things, um, so administration obviously can share about what life is like in the classroom when they were in the classroom. And that's always helpful to hear their perspective of recognizing and remembering that they are many times equivalent, that were really good at what they did and continued to help other teachers as really teacher training being a big portion of administrative um, role. But I th also think that there was an element of uh, administrators that I've had that have helped me set reasonable barriers and expectations and also reprioritize focus. Honestly, Ken, before I met you, I was kind of heading in this trend of like thinking I knew what I knew and people were coming to me for tech questions and I was kind of growing in the sense of like, oh, I'm, I'm an entity, I'm, I'm important and I'm so like irreplaceable because all these people need me. And then I realized very shortly afterwards with some kind of situations that I know we've talked about in other episodes of hey, like, I, I don't know the answer to this really tough question. And I expected myself to have that answer. And uh, my administrator at the time um, was able to help me navigate that realm of, of what the right decision is. And I think that's A, a big joy of theirs and a big responsibility. But it was one of those things that she had a much bigger perspective of what to, uh, what was contributing to my challenge in the classroom. And I thought, oh, it's my world, it's my room, it's, it, these things are not working because of that. That I think that kind of tying that big perspective and also some true guidance in the sense of having boss tell you what to do uh, is obviously one attribute. But also, kind of, and and our guest tonight talks about giving some clarity of why behind some of the decisions, and maybe the why behind the family's response um, was something that 
has allowed me to have a, a ton of respect for that role. Hopefully that answered that question. It did. It, it absolutely did. And, and for me, um, my principal, the longest principal that I've worked for when I was at Siler, Miles Rowe, he, he really allowed me to develop as a, as a teacher, as a, as a building leader, um, in supporting, you know, some building initiatives and, you know, kind of the similar role, like you said, people coming to you for tech help. But, uh, what I appreciated most was, you know, my goal was always to be a facilitator of the classroom, to make it student centered and have the students really drive, drive the instruction of the day. And he did the same thing as a leader for me. He would open a door and then move and then walk away and let me explore where that door would take me and perhaps force me to find the next door or to realize that, okay, you know, I've, I've reached this, this point and I'm looking for more and he would connect me with someone or introduce me to someone or provide me with an experience to go somewhere. Um, but he really, he, he pushed me, but also would step out of the way to allow me to push myself and he might recenter me or he might, you know, just ask me questions or, or give me prompts to say, you know, are we, are we losing focus of what's important is what you're doing best for students and just, um, you know, guiding through, through questions and prompts, which, um, you know, is, is similar to the, to the way I teach. And so that leadership style really helped me, me grow and thrive. So, um, we do have an administrator on tonight, which was, was very exciting. So Matt, since, um, she works in your district. I'll allow you to do the official introductions and in and transition into our interview tonight. Awesome. So um, Kathy Koenig is uh, really a jack of all trades. She has kind of taken on the idea of student services. Uh, her technical role is director of student services for Pequot Valley School District, where I teach. Um, and it really ends up honestly being more than student services, but human services. Um, it is looking after literally every human that falls within the boundaries of Pequot Valley School District and honestly beyond, whether it's working with the local organizations and community, whether it's working with families, she manages a ton with um, homelessness and uh, trauma-informed practices, as well as uh, working through student-centered uh, activities and, and lots of things for our, our kids and also our teachers. Um, she actually brought an initial initiative of mindfulness into our classroom uh, this year of all years where it would make sense for us to have it. So she is honestly a force to be reckoned with and an incredible presence in our, our district and, and really excited to have her um, as part of uh, the podcast, because in this episode, she shares really a lot of perspective of how she goes about being an administrator that allows me to remember that we're all on the same team. And I think sometimes administrators, she'll talk about, have to make tough decisions. And those tough decisions are from the perspective of someone who remembers it's gonna have an effect on many people. And I think that was something that I really took away from tonight's episode along with a bunch of other um, really, really great perspectives um, talking about special ed specifically 
that's a huge portion of her, her role and what it's like to be a regular ed teacher or a specialist and, and having to, to work through that um, in regular and uh, elementary and secondary. So anything you would contribute before we get into the episode? Uh, no, I, I think you introduced it great. And, and like you said, there's a lot of specific takeaways for special ed teachers as well as regular ed teachers K to 12 um, with with ways that you can best support students and best support the growth of students to be successful in your classroom. So uh, without any further delay, let's jump into that interview with Kathy. Hi, Kathy. Welcome to the Powered Up Podcast. How are you doing tonight? Hi, good. Thank you. We're, we're really excited to have you here. So uh, to, to start things off, can you just give us kind of a snapshot, um, if officially introduce yourself, where you're from, and what your uh, teaching career and your edu- educator career has looked like thus far? Sure. Um, Kathy Koenig, I'm the Director of Student Services from Peckway Valley School District. Um, I started my career out um, in West Virginia um, teaching um, for a grant program called West Virginia Graduates. Um, I moved to Pennsylvania and um, did special education for 10 years at Donegal School District and also then did physical education and health for a few years. Um, there was, I did get my administrative degree four years um, before I really used it. Um, Peckway Valley had an assistant principal role at the high school open, and I thought I would throw my hat in, name in the hat and see where it would take me. I was the varsity basketball coach, so I wasn't sure if I wanted to retire yet um, from coaching. So I thought, you know what, let's see if I even get a second round interview and we'll go from there. So. I did get the position at Peckway Valley High School as the assistant principal. Um, Four years later, our superintendent um, asked me to move up to director of special education. We had some administrative shifts. um, So I moved up to the director of special education. And then two years later, the title sort of shifted and a couple more things got added to my plate. And that's director of student services now. And I've been there for nine years now as director of student services um, at Peckway Valley School District. So I asked Kathy onto the podcast because she is my boss in some capacity. Um, But in a lot of ways, Kathy is a point person for a lot of different features. And so we asked Kathy to come on to kind of talk about some of those different attributes. Um, One of the, I guess the first thing that I would talk about is uh, coming from a place like Donegal that's slightly larger than Peckway Valley um, to obviously Peckway Valley in a different role makes a, a huge difference. But there's benefits to being in a school environment that's much smaller, uh, but there's also challenges of, especially in the admin role. I feel like you end up serving as many people uh, kind of filling in for the different places. And I know that your admin team and the cabinet really work together quite fluidly to conquer all issues. But um, kind of talk about the advantages and disadvantages of your day-to-day life. I I know COVID makes it even tougher, but what are some of those responsibilities that um, being in a small school provide to you? Yeah. And when I went into admin, one of the reasons I came to Peckway Valley was I really wanted to do administration at a smaller district because I really wanted to see that difference that I could make as an administrator. Um, I felt like I was a hands-on coach, a hands-on teacher, and 
I didn't want to sit and be sort of behind a desk as an admin. So I felt in a smaller district, I could do that. Um, as I moved up to district office, um, I really still wanted to have my feet on the ground and be still involved in a lot of different things. Um, so some of the things that sort of fall under me in my position now are, of course, special education and gifted. Um, I also, you know, look over the wellness programs, the nursing programs. Um, I'm the safety coordinator for the district, which in this time also led me to become the pandemic coordinator for the district. So that added an extra tier for this year. Um, and then I also just um, oversee the um, English language development program, ELD program, um, and also the Plan 339 counseling program, um, and then help out at elementary with PBIS programming. Um, so just a lot of different things. So I would say my day is just packed full. And that that is what I like about the job is just that every day is different. Like I'm not sitting at my desk. I'm in buildings, I'm helping people, I'm helping families. So that's really probably the best part of the job is I can still be connected to a lot of different people. What is one of the ways, and it could be specific to your position or, or what you see from administrators or when you were an assistant principal, what is one of the ways that you feel an administrator can have a strong positive impact directly on students? Because I think there are a lot of teachers that view admin as being too disconnected from students and they no longer impact students or perhaps people that are certified and they're kind of worried about making that transition. Can you give us a specific example of how you feel you have a direct impact on students' experiences in a classroom? Yeah, so the first thing I would say is if you are jumping into admin, um, I think just be yourself. So if you're a type of facilitator or teacher who love being around people and that's really what powers you to be the great person you are, then be that same person as an admin. So I think one of the things that I've really tried to do is keep that connection. So get into classrooms, do the extra things. Like if there's a faculty basketball game, like I even in this position, I ref those games. If there is a parent night, do those parent nights with your teachers. Like we had a paint night for our parents um, and our um, special education students. And I made sure I was there and painting pictures with everybody else. So I think that's the connection. I think, you know, as teachers, you go to extracurricular events and you try to go to that baseball game of your elementary school learner doing those same things, like trying to be involved. And also I think even at the district office level, trying to be involved in the community. So like I sit on different boards um, and like I am part of the um, Together Initiative Executive Committee. So trying to stay a part of your community also helps make those connections. So families see you as a real person. So if you have to have that tough conversation, they also know that you truly care about them. Which I think is a huge thing because it's not just, hey, representative with school mindset only coming in. Um, and I know specifically Together Initiative is a really neat opportunity that you have had a, a huge role in, um, which is really bringing together services for the community in its its purest form. Kind of speaking real quick about that and your, your efforts towards that. 
is that uh, your, I would assume, major focus with community? Um, or just explain what that has turned into since you've been working on that executive board. Yeah, so I think with the Together Initiative, especially as the Director of Student Services, because we always say we don't have enough resources to support our families, what that gives us is advocates who can directly work with families. So I'll give the example of I'm also the homeless liaison. So when uh, a family gets um, turned over to me and, you know, the residency is a questionable thing, I work directly for the student. So I may code the, co the student homeless. What I do then is ask the family if I can reach out to the factory ministries and have them work alongside the parent and trying to help with housing and trying to find them the resources they need. Um, I think every school is always short on resources. So that has definitely led our community, I think, a step above other communities just because I have that resource, pick up the phone, send a text to an advocate and say, hey, I need your help. Um, or a ride for a family, like I needed a kid to get picked up and all I did was text the um, youth advocates and said, look, I'm in a meeting, but I need this kid picked up. Can you bring them home? Yep, not a problem, Kathy. But I think that's really the relationships you build. Like it's pretty much if I can text and say, hey, can you help me? And they're like, yep, if you're saying you need help, I'm on it. Um, that has really helped me in the student service role and also our social workers and counselors who are limited as a district and especially a small district. And something just to add, the Together Initiative, um, I, I've talked about it briefly. Um, I know from my end, I've gone bike rides and, and gone to their charity events. Um, but, uh, and Ken, I've talked to you about it before, but it's a kind of a meeting place for the community that represents uh, the local churches a, the school district and the nonprofits that either were already established in the area or were kind of born from the collective Arab efforts. But realistically, all of those th kind of entities coming to one location to be a hub in, again, a rural environment that normally doesn't have the same access as maybe a suburbia or um, a city environment of, okay, there's plenty of counseling options or there's plenty of dentist options or family medicine. So um, a the school district actually, uh, I mean, I'm speaking from my perspective, donated an old elementary school to be the hub. So there's tons of organizations and they're giving out foods and presents for uh, Christmas and uh, activities for the teenage kids that realistically everyone has that same perspective of at the end of the day if we treat kids with respect and family with respect it makes our lives in the classroom a lot better and those kids grow up to do much greater things than what they could possibly fall themselves into and Kathy has been a huge advocate for this and very instrumental recognizing that you may not be required to do that as your job position. Nowhere does it say that that's a requirement, but it's a great way to accomplish one of your main goals. So just to kind of give light, I don't know if you have any other extension on, on that. I'm probably not doing nearly enough service. No, you did a great job just explaining it. Well, I think it's great and it's, you know, as classroom teachers, as, you know, at really anyone in a school, we're constantly looking for ways to encourage students to get involved in the community, um, you know, doing real world activities, whether it's related around holidays and you're making, you're making cards for 
um, citizens of the community or, or anything like that. So uh, the fact that your district is is pulling that together and pulling the resources from multiple locations and multiple entities, you know, I see the value and the need in the rural area more than more than anywhere else. But really, it would be beneficial for any type of community to do that, because even just helping people to realize the services that are out there, I think that's one of the most important things. You know, we would have in the fifth grade classroom, Nova would come and do a couple presentations with the kids. And, and they were good, and they were topics that we would talk about as well, bullying and, and cyberbullying and, and safety and those types of things. Um, but, you know, one thing that I always tried to reinforce with the students is, is just be aware of this service that's out there to help you. Um, you know, if the school isn't able to provide you exactly what you need. And we would actually just look up and research, and I would have things prepared to just let them know of what other community services are out there that are available for free. All you have to do is call. All you have to do is go to this website. And, you know, I think it's a really valuable thing that your your school district is doing that. And again, Kathy, I know you won't take as much credit as you deserve, um, but there's a, a huge element of, right, the school district represents a huge mark of that community. And it is the the centralized item and to see them on board with all the other organizations is really cool. Kind of transitioning into your your daily life. So obviously you're dealing with community entities, um, but honestly, what you're also dealing with is many things between that eight and 345 timeframe of kind of requirements, especially in that special ed realm. Um, and I think that's one of those areas that a lot of teachers are graduating college and having very distinctive perspectives on special education um, as either a really great place to start and then work your way into the job you want to be or the only classroom they want to be in because they have a, a call or passion. But it's also a really tough job. The way that I would kind of sum it up is it's like learning to drive stick shift. Um, there are many regulations and there's a lot to learn that you have to learn immediately to be able to drive the car, but it allows you to teach the rest of your career with a much broader perspective. Um, so talking about special ed, I know I went straight in as special ed and really benefit from that experience. Talk about the kind of the depth of what special ed looks like. Um, in its most itinerant sense, and then the most extreme sense that we don't see very often, and your role in that, and maybe what you would say to teachers when considering either students in identification or that are going to be learning support, and kind of how you would shape that perspective. Yeah. So I do think, um, you know, I went for my undergraduate in phys ed and health, and I that was my dream job. And I really thought, hey, I'm getting in, but back when I graduated, there weren't any jobs in phys ed and health. Um, the phys ed and health facilitators were staying, and I had to figure out another way, sort of, like you said, get my foot in the door. Um, I had worked a lot of camps and did different things, um, so I went back for my master's in special education, um, and I really did sort of, to your point, make find that as sort of a calling. I did, I worked in... Um, my master's program 
My thesis was on educational settings in correctional facilities for youth. And so I went into correctional facilities and did some educating in those correctional facilities. And I really found a true passion for those students who had those tough lives, those emotional um, regulation problems and stuff. And so I finished up my master's, had a um, certification in West Virginia with emotional disturbance, and then sort of started my venture into um, special ed. I think when you look at special ed, there are a lot of regulations. And I think the tough part um, is special ed is always changing. Um, and it's sort of balancing that act, balancing act of just doing the right thing for kids. And that's what I always try to say, hey, let's just try to do the right things for kids. Things may happen and we may not be able to, you know, there might be a due process or a mediation put on. But if we can truly say we did what was best for the kid, um, you know, I can defend that. I can say, hey, we might have made a mistake, but we were doing what was best for that kid. Um, I think the knowledge of understanding special education, um, that's one thing I think, you know, in colleges and stuff, doing those couple classes with special ed is so helpful because nowadays the key is, and I just had a conversation about this today with someone, is what the state, what um, everybody is looking at is least restrictive environment. So we want the learners in the classroom, which means that all all facilitators are teaching our lowest learners to our highest learners. So it's understanding what that differentiation is. It's understanding how do you balance a classroom with classroom management. Um, you know, that's difficult stuff. And it and I think the hard part is when you walk out of college, it you're not prepared because you just don't get that true world experience until you're probably five years into your classroom. And then you're like, uh, that's why I needed to know that. Um, I think more and more um, we will look at kids being, you know, itinerant services with just that learning support and emotional support. I think in a small district, one of the um, things I talk to about with a lot of people is we don't have a continuum service in our district, which means we go from full time to itinerant and also all the different um, components. So. I think it's important for people to understand like that full-time classroom is way different from a kid, even though he's having a rough day in class. That's not like his behaviors are once in a while, not all the time. I think also just knowing like um, knowing all of the different levels of special ed and all the different classrooms. So um, like in Pequay Valley, you know, the MDS classes and the life skills classes, we partner with the IU for those. Um, and every year we look at trying to bring those back into district, but being a small district, we don't have that all the time, um, but we keep continuing to work with our families and find the best um, placement for this learner and where they can um, make the most growth. Thank you. That's I think that's really insightful and, and helpful for for a lot of our listeners to hear. So um, I want to take the perspective of a classroom teacher, so regular classroom teacher, and it it's you can't put this stuff in a box, but we'll just try to kind of look at it in a vacuum for a second. Um, so you are you're a classroom teacher, you have a new a new set of students coming in, 
and let's say that you have an inclusion of, you know, maybe learning support or, or autistic support or emotional support, and, and maybe you can just focus on one of them, whichever one makes the most sense for you. So you get their SDIs, you get their IEPs, and maybe you get some notes from the previous classroom teacher. Um, and so in general, special ed aside, I wouldn't really like to read notes from the previous teacher on all of the kids because I wanted to learn about the students myself. Um, one, they could change. Two, people have different perspectives. But special ed is a little bit different because you do have to be aware of what's in their IEP. You do have to, which is for our listeners, individualized education plan. Uh, states might have different different names. SDIs are, are um, specially designed um, instru instruction. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so, but it's essentially things that you have to do in your classroom, test modifications, you know, placement in the classroom, those types of things. So how do you, I'm getting to my question here. How do you <laughs> properly support the student properly learn about the student, but also give them the opportunity to kind of show who they are and show how they can be in your classroom, but staying in the guidelines of, of what your expectations are. Yeah. So what I love that you said is you're starting from a fresh slate. So I think that's so important when a kid, because I think a lot of kids sort of get that, oh, he's, not doing this right or he's not doing that right so i love that you said every kid that walked in your classroom sort of had a fresh slate and then we were going to build from that um i do think one of the biggest things is is relationships with your case managers um i would say matt i think has a great relationship with the case managers at his elementary school um and they just have an open dialogue so i think Yes, you need to read through the paperwork. You need to know the SDIs. You need to know the time they need to be in and out of your classroom. It's, it's pull out or push out. Um, but I do truly think you need to know the child themselves. And I think with every classroom and the kid sort of reacts to that teacher. So even though maybe in second grade they had a rough year, they're walking into your third grade classroom, your classroom is structured different. Maybe you have more hands-on activities. Maybe you give them more ownership of different things. And maybe the classroom was a little more structured and that's not sort of their fit. I think knowing the SDIs are important, but I think truly building those relationships with not only the kid, the family, knowing what the family you know, needs and wants from you as a teacher, like communication wise and that kind of stuff. Um, but also that relationship with the case manager. I think if you as a general ed teacher have a good relationship with a case manager and I live both sides. So I was a regular ed teacher, but I was also a special ed teacher. And I really knew my case managers well when I was a regular ed teacher and went to them if there was a problem don't let that problem get big. Go to them that first day when you're seeing like, mm, this isn't feeling right. Um, or when you're that case manager, if you're a special ed teacher, making sure you're going each week and checking in and having those conversations with the general ed teacher so you can help them before a bigger problem happens. Um, so I would say the biggest things are just communication, building those relationships and really getting to know the kid and the family um, because even if there's a rough day, if you know the family and can call them and say, hey, here's what happened, 
I think if you have that relationship, that goes such a long way to trying to, instead of saying, hey, this happened and now we're calling an IEP meeting and people are upset. <laughs> I think that's a, a huge point. And, and thinking back, I had I felt that I had a really good relationship with uh, the two case managers that um, were with the students that I worked with. And the one, it has a, obviously a positive effect for the two of you, but the other piece is the students are very perceptive of that and they see that they have a team working to help them. And they see that, you know, it's not just, this is my learning support class. This is my regular ed class, but it's, these are my, these are all of my teachers that are all working as a team to help me grow. And I, and I think students perceive that very clearly when there's a good teamwork dynamic. And, and that's where that we, that we kind of comment comes in and it's so simple, but Later in my career, I realized how important that was when I was in regular ed because I, I felt like I was trying to be as a special ed teacher, dynamic opportunities, fun things that were going on that kids didn't view like, oh, I have to go to learning support. It was like, oh, I kind of want to be learning support. Like that was my ultimate goal. And then transitioning into a regular ed classroom and realizing, hey, th this, you know, I know they're going to go for a little bit of time. And this year, for instance, I have kids that are out for ELA and math. There's a limited amount of time that I actually have them, but I have to make that count as much as possible. And I think that's sometimes I struggle and that's the benefit as you were talking about um, of having good relationships where I can call one of the case managers and just say, you're gonna have to make it up. Yesterday, I'll say we have a, a speech and language pathologist um, who's wonderful. And I just said, no, like you're not taking them now. You can take them any other time. You'll figure out something else. We'll get the time. But, but that was something that the kids also viewed as like, no, I, I want you to be here for this part of the, the situation, whether it's a good activity, it's a reprimand, a class-wide reprimand, those type things I think are really helpful. The other thing we've said before, Ken, is a lot of times looking at those SDIs are just good teaching practices. So when you create structure, when you create kind of consistency, when you can kind of consider, hey, proximity seating, I know it's uh, written in every IEP ever, probably, um, but those concepts of being very deliberate with those activities, checking in, making sure they understand directions, it is astonishing how often, especially at the beginning of the year, in all teacher classrooms, you feel like you explain the heck out of something. You only know if you explained it well, if they actually translate and you'll get to monitoring. We have a, a sixth grade teacher who's phenomenal. She said she was kind of meeting with kids and got to the last kid, realized they weren't following the directions because they were stuck on one. And, and so those type things of hey, we're going to take a quick scan, make sure everyone's good, make sure everyone's going ahead and, and able to go forward. Yeah, Matt, you, so. you read my mind. Um, I wanted to ask you, Kathy, so just like Matt said, you find when you really read through those SDIs, there's a lot of commonalities from student to student, and a lot of them are just great teaching practices that you just start using regardless of, of what are in those SDIs. So I'm going to challenge you. Um, can you identify some... SDIs that you find that are common that you feel are just great teaching practices that people should or teachers should be using 
on a daily or weekly basis. And I'm going to even ask you to maybe do like a specific elementary and a specific secondary strategy. Yeah. So I, I'll, I'll echo a couple Matt said, I think doing that check-in um, for understanding, I think that's one that I think sometimes we take for granted um, because kids get going on their independent work and just, if kids look busy, I think sometimes we take for granted they are busy and understanding. So that checking in for understanding, I think is key. I think seating is key. I think as you get to know your kids and maybe not the first or second week of school, but as you get to know the kids, you know who should be sitting next to each other and where should they be seating or where can I get my hand on someone quicker than if they're sitting across the classroom. Um, the other ones that I really think that you look at and we say, okay, um, are the um, looking at sort of like that organization. I know executive functioning was a hot item probably like eight years ago and everybody's like, oh my gosh, we gotta do this and this. But I do think just with the craziness of life and just the everything that's happening and so many demands put on um, um, facilitators and the kids with everything, I think some of those executive functioning ones of organization, um, one of the things that I really say to my to our facilitators is we put like an organizational um, SDI in, but making it purposeful to the kids because your organizational style is not our organizational style. And I think, Ken, you said like high school organizational style isn't the same as an elementary organizational style. Um, we all have iPads up till fourth grade and we have um, MacBooks the rest of the way up. And one of the things we put in sometimes is like using an iCal. Well, using an iCal is great, but number one, you got to teach that. And number two, if the kid isn't going to use the iCal, well, that's not a good SDI to put in. So really knowing the kid and trying to figure out what their organizational style is, what helps them. A lot of kids carry phones now and at our secondary campus, we can, the kids can have phones during the non-instructional time. So between class changes at lunch, that kind of stuff. So like some kids, it's better to put it in their phone if they have a test or something than to put it on their iCal on their computer. So just, I think really knowing the kids, um, knowing what would benefit them and trying to meet them where they're at, because we all have a different way to do things. Like I still like writing things down and, you know, I use my calendar. I carry two phones I, and I keep everything organized in my way, but my organizational strategies does not work for my husband. So, you know, just understanding like everybody has their own and giving the ownership to the kids and then supporting them. Um, I also think one of the other big things that we see, you know, you mentioned it, Ken, was the testing accommodations. I think understanding what testing accommodations are true to the kid and what their disability is. Um, I think sometimes, and I've really challenged our special ed teachers in our district, is SDI shouldn't be cookie cutter. They shouldn't, like that SDI shouldn't carry on and on. So like when I'm checking or my special ed consultant are checking IEPs, we sort of challenge like, hey, is the kid using this? Do we still need this in? Have they matured out of that? And starting to have conversations with the regular ed teacher to say, hey, is this just good teaching or is he using this at a over and above what a general kid would use it in your class? Um, so I think as a regular ed teacher, you know, 
we love having that feedback. I mean, I think our IEP meeting, some of them are <laughs> great having conversations and saying, hey, what do you see? What do we need to do differently here? And um, I think that communication has really helped us to sort of not have as much of that cookie cutter SDIs than I think we probably had like five or six years ago. So just a, a quick add on, and then I have another question, but what happens for a teacher that is not following the SDI? So I think from my level at, at the elementary, I feel like we kind of have to, we spend so much time, so much of the day with them that it's easier for me to remember, but especially like a secondary um, teacher that has them for a, a shortened block um, and you know that it's something that's beneficial for their learning strategy. What are, not to bring a doomsday perspective, but what are some of the things that happens in the case that students are truly not getting the accommodations they need? Yeah, so I'll take a secondary approach. I think one of the things, as you know, at that high school level is credits. And, um, you know, and it depends how much families push. And it's also how much you like look into things, you know, if SDIs aren't being followed, I think those are the conversations you have. So, you know, especially this year with having a lot of virtual learning, we've had a lot of kids who haven't probably done as well as they have in the past just because being online or choosing to be online. And so we've had a lot of those conversations of, hey, are these SDIs happening? And if they're not happening, then we need to just look as a team. Number one, can they happen? Because there are some SDIs that we've had conversations about this year that can't happen virtually. So we have the conversation of, okay, then that needs to go into the IEP as a non-virtual SDI because in a virtual world, it can't happen. But in brick and mortar, it can um, but then having those conversations and, you know, having the conversations of, hey, it's one thing if you're like, mm, I missed that for like that test, I didn't send them down or, hey, I forgot to put a word bank on if they had a word bank. But I think when there's that pattern that you're not doing it and the kids not being success successful, then we as administration have to have that conversation of, hey, we're all here for your kids. And we can't blame the kid for everything if we're not doing our part in making that sort of an equal playing field. And that's really what the SDIs do is I think sometimes people say, oh, well, we're making it easier. I don't I don't ever feel we're making it easier. I think we're equaling out the playing field like this learner has a disability, which other learners don't have. And some of these SDIs are helping them to sort of equal that playing field and making that test, you know, better for that one learner or helping um, the learner be able to stay more attentive in class. So I do think that if you look as SDIs and you're really looking at, and facilitators and teachers are in it for kids. So if you're really looking at it through the kid's perspective, those SDIs are helping a kid become successful and getting that, you know, where they want to be after high school. Um, so I think that's, if you don't put it as a personal level as a teacher and say, oh, this is so much more work on me and really look through the lens of, hey, it's really helping this kid, I think it's easier to, because there are sometimes some IEPs have a lot of them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to kind of pull what you said earlier about building community, especially in that special ed realm and regular ed team, one of the things that's beautiful about an IEP is it's editable. It's like almost never finished, right? Like it's printed or it's kind of finalized, but at any time an IEP can adjust. So obviously switching to a virtual world, you've had to adjust a lot of your IEPs, but that's also the beauty of SDIs. If you find something that's working, you can add it pretty seamlessly. 
if you find something that's not working, you can pull it. Um, you're just not legally bound. And that's, that's kind of a scary thing, especially for new teachers, um, the idea of the legally binding. And I know even just to, to use a reference point, behavior charts are one of the things that drive teachers up a wall because a lot of times what happens is in our building traditionally it's three to four category areas one that you can usually pretty commonly have as a success that you can celebrate and then two or three that are going to challenge the learner specifically and i think one of the things is just as my perspective is the behavior chart is just an opportunity to have a conversation where in my opinion the kids self grades themselves and you discuss do you agree or not agree and i think too often teachers just write down real quick what they think the kid just flaps it closed and marches on their way and then realizes okay i got a 73 percent today but i don't really have any clue why just a, a little thing that i've always done and something i find super important especially if you're a newer teacher or any teacher, if you invest 30 seconds in saying, hey, how do you feel at the end or a transition or maybe a little bit early, then the kid and you are both self-identifying opportunities that could have gone better or, hey, next time I get to that point, maybe I choose to change. It makes, I don't think there's been a bigger change in my classroom environment than letting the kid state how they feel first rather than me just tell them how I thought they did. So that's just my perspective of like something when, when dealing with kids, it, it, I have always thought a learner with an IEP or a learner with a um, behavior chart, even a 504, whatever the case may be, it's just a bonus opportunity that specifically you're obligated to have that conversation a little bit more per day that you almost dedicate and you look forward to, hey, I get to check in. And honestly, unfortunately for me, um, it turns into me seeing that kid um, in having harder and, and more difficult expectation, which is really what we're going for. And, and then the benefit of that is being in my class way more often. I end up pulling my kids. This probably drives your your staff crazy. I literally try by the end of the year to act like they don't have a disability. I just want them in my room as much as I can because that's the environment if we can make it the least restrictive. Well, Matt, like you said about empowering them, that's I think that's the most important part. And, and yeah, you're going to have to have those conversations with the students. But at the same time, you know, let's just say they rate themselves on a scale of – zero to two and there's five four categories like you said well if it's an eight you know it's an eight they know it's an eight after you've had those conversations and you understand what an eight looks like you see that eight and you say yeah great job today you did awesome and that's the end of the conversation it's when those days aren't an eight or it was exceptionally an eight that you have to have those conversations so when you establish that routine in the beginning and you have those conversations every day they don't necessarily have to happen every day when the student is filling it out because they are understanding yep i did i did have an eight and i took a very similar approach and even if they weren't earning that eight they might earn a five and you could just look at them and say you know we know why right and they say yeah i know because it's something that they've done before and so like again it's it's that empowerment of of the students and and it's going to help them grow it's going to help them succeed and 
when a teacher can do that with them every year, they're going to learn different expectations. And that's sometimes one of the hardest things for students is, and, and this is all students, is understanding that different teachers have different expectations. How do I succeed in those different environments? Um, Kathy, can you speak to that at all about, about how we as teachers can help students adjust to different expectations. You know, you talked a little bit about different organizational structures, but how we can really help support those students succeed in, in those different environments. Yeah, I, I would say the first thing, and I think, you know, when you're thinking about the first couple weeks of school, really building that community and building that the expectations. And I think Matt said it just being consistent. Like, um, I know, with, you know, switching classes and stuff. That's one of the things even like at secondary level, you know, sometimes kids struggle with because one teacher is more, hey, come in, get your workout, you're sort of on your own, where the other teacher, you walk into the next classroom and you have to do this, this, and this. And I think, um, I think really as a teacher, and this is conversations that we have with the kids in IEP meetings or when we have conversations, we the kids have to be flexible. So um, one of the things that I know, like the emotional support teacher, um, we use um, um, zones of regulations and we use Superflex, and we always say, you know, being flexible. So the kids have to start learning um, at a very young age of how to be flexible. And that's a skill. Like, and sometimes we need to teach that skill. And, but we also are getting them ready for the world of work and everything else. And you're not, you're not always going to have that same manager on the job. You're not always going to have a boss that totally understands you. So I do think some of these things that the kids live every day in school, the different teachers, how people set up their classrooms, I think teaching, that's part of our education too. It's not just the math, the reading, the writing. It's teaching the kids how to be just good citizens, being good, um, you know, that social emotional learning. Um, and I think um, having them understand that it's okay if you don't totally like someone. Like I'll say that like people will be like, I don't like you. That's okay. You don't like me. But we have to be able to mutually get along because guess what? I need to work with you and you need to work with me. So I think it's trying to reach, um, Matt said before, if you show kids respect, they give you that respect back. So I think it's trying to show that respect understand that everybody's coming. Um, I teach the, I'm the trainer for our crisis um, prevention, so CPI, and one of the thing, one of the activities we do is a backpack, and everybody comes with different things in their backpack, and you don't see another illustration I use as an iceberg. You don't see everything under that iceberg, um, but we as facilitators need to understand that because a lot of us come to the table, and we do have we might not have the past that some of our learners have, but we got to understand that. We also have to hold, um, I think, Ken, you said, you know, high expectations in our classroom because kids will rise to those high expectations. So I never want anybody to ever think like, oh, this kid has an IEP or mm, this kid has a 504. Let's lessen the expectations. Don't lessen the expectations, but meet the kid where they are and grow them from where they are and keep pushing those expectations so they keep growing. I think it's high beautiful. expectations and high level of support. Yeah, that scaffolding is a key thing. Taking a little left turn from the special ed realm, and you can continue to talk from that that lens as well. Um, you obviously are in the 
um, admin perspective that we as classroom teachers fear so much. Um, I'm so fearful of you, but I, I know I've never seen uh, angry or irritated Kathy really, but I know uh, that there's times that you have to be serious and, and there are tough decisions to make. Um, kind of talk about the perspective of from our end, I think you have a great way of saying, hey, I'm, I'm kind of your vocal leader at the table where it matters more so than, hey, I'm going to tell you what you need to do. And I think that's a, an interesting administrative kind of experience that I would say, honestly, our entire admin team really does a great job of being representative from this building or representative from curriculum or representative from each of these different avenues. But I think it's a difficult thing to feel comfortable as a teacher, especially a newer teacher with your admin, because as I started, you are a, a few steps from my boss. If you really weren't happy with something that I was doing, that could cause quite a, a riff in my life. But um, what are some of the things that you would like to either disnomers that you would like to change um, or just kind of words of advice that you wish you knew about admin life as a classroom teacher? Yeah. Um, so the first thing is, I think everybody needs to understand everybody's pressures. So I think moving into a district office role, I probably didn't understand it well as a teacher. I didn't understand it well, even as an assistant principal. And I still, you know, there's a lot of other people I work with as a district office. But I think understanding everybody's pressures, understanding that, um, everybody is coming through the lens of what's best for the, a district or what's best for the kids. Um, and I really feel like, you know, teachers have their own pressures. And I think sometimes as admin, we forget that sometimes. Um, I try to keep a very clear head and every time I'm having a conversation, look at it through the lens of the family, the kid, the facilitator. And I always say to myself as I reflect, like, hey, Kat, everybody's coming with a different pressure. I know legally we need to do this or this is a state mandate. So I have to, you know, all the state mandates that I have to push out for safety and five hours of training online is not something like a facilitator wants to do the first week of school. Cause what facilitators want to do is get in their classroom, set it up, get ready and go. So it's trying to have those conversations, you know, with the union, with the, principals with the facilitators with the lead facilitators and having those conversations um trying to see what best works for everybody i also think sometimes we as administrators don't always do a good job of telling the why and so you know if someone doesn't understand that something um you know some i'm not saying all administrators but some administrators might sort of you know, push back into the back, like a corner and feel like you're asking why and they sort of get defensive. But I think true, if you're a true leader and you want to help your team grow, if someone's asking you why, you should be able to explain that. And you should be able to say, you know, this is why we need to do this. It might not be a popular decision, but I think it's important people understand like, like some of the safety trainings that I have to push out. The why is because it's a mandate. Like, I know I've already taken them. I know they're a little dry, but there are some things we just got to check off the box and do. Then there's other things that, you know, um, some of the trauma training that we've done and some of the mindfulness training, you know what? 
that truly was from my heart. And I was like, guys, this is really going to help learners because you're going to bring it into your classroom and make this, our learners better, you better. So I do think um, just having those, um, those conversations, being honest, I think being open, um, also being present. I think administration has to be present. You know, being in the buildings, if someone asks you to help with something, if there's a crisis saying, you know what, I'll stay or I'll do it. Um, I think that goes a long way. I also think thanking people um, goes a long way to help. You know, I think sometimes we take for granted um, the, you know, we want so much stuff done, but you have, everybody has a home life. Everybody has things to balance and just understanding that. And for the people who go over and above, you know, thanking them because you don't always have to do that. I mean, as administration, we don't have to do it, but as teachers, you don't have to do it either. And um, so I think my big things would be trust, honesty, and just, um, you know, making sure you explain why we're doing it and sort of staying with how you can support them because everybody is at a different place every day they walk into that building and just figuring out how you can support them on that day because sometimes they're rougher than other days. And, and to, to be honest, and I'm obviously talking from a delicate perspective right now, but from the teacher's end of things, we sit there and we blame admin for decisions we don't have any control over that we just are not interested in or don't agree with. And a lot of times that comes from the perspective of not knowing the whole picture. And I think your idea of identifying the why, and maybe it's just budget. We don't have the budget to or, to have 13 kids in a classroom, right? Like that may be a reason because it's not realistic. And then some of the decisions where we had two curriculums we were choosing between, or we had the opportunity to extend our high school kids to go do a great opportunity at the sacrifice. And, and I think a lot of times what I'm, I always try to per, kind of perceive it on the teacher side, especially in that classic like faculty room type environment of like it, when it starts snowballing is there, you guys are making the best decision under the same perspective you all started in the same roles that we were in caring so much about kids and that has never changed you just have other people to report to and other decisions to make and the great thing at least in in our small district is everyone's really bought into that perspective it's for the kids it's the best interest it's not a political move it's not hey i'm gonna stick it to or it's hey these are decisions made with transparency as much as possible for the best interest of staff and students. So it's a tough, tough thing. And I'll tell you, walking into, I had to do an interview with Kathy for um, uh, just like how to acknowledge if there's assault for a, a, um, a uh, graduate level administrative class. And walking into that district office, especially after you get hired, is a very intimidating place. And there's a reason why superintendent and assistant to the superintendents and budget and have their own offices with secretaries and, and all these different, there's so many things going on. Um, but what I like to think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is you guys love when we come into your space too. You love getting to the nitty gritty and reminding yourself, hey, these are the challenges that my staff is facing. 
and if I can make a, a difference, because that is, again, touching the lives of kids directly that we don't get to do as directly in that administrative role. Yeah, the best days are when I can get into classrooms and just be a part of conversations and decisions and that kind of stuff um, really makes it purposeful to why I do the grind of, because an admin job isn't that eight to four. I mean, it's eight to whenever the job is done at night and sometimes it's really long nights, but when you really get to um, have that parent who is thankful because you contacted them because something happened to their kid or you get a teacher that just says, hey, thanks um, for going that extra mile and helping us out on that. Um, I think that's where you see that, you know what, people do truly understand the time you're putting in. And I think um, that we're there to support, um, even though some days it's not that we're as connected as we should be. Would you encourage teachers to reach out to administrators, especially beyond their building, inviting them into the classroom? And if you would, should they be in inviting administrators in seeking advice, asking questions, or saying on this day or on this week, I'm going to be doing this type of lesson that I think you would love to see? Yeah, so I think if it depends on the relationship they have with their admin and also the relationship probably of the district, because I know every district is different. Um, but I would say the first, the second one is probably where to start. Like invite your administration in, if it's your superintendent, if you're assistant superintendent, your director of student services, if you're doing a cool activity, people love to see that. People love to tweet it. People love to get that you know, on social media and show all the great things we're doing as a district. And there's times we don't know that's happening because we're not in the building. So that would be the first thing I would say is, you know, have those kind of things because what that does is it builds a relationship. So like if Matt invites me into his room, like I had a grant opportunity and the one of the first people I reached out to Matt, hey Matt, you know, you love doing crazy things. I might have some money. Think of a crazy idea and maybe <laughs> we can get it funded. Um, so I think as we build those relationships with regular ed teachers or special ed teachers on my end and see the things that they're really doing, I think that first builds a relationship. It also gets us aware of, hey, how can we support better? Because, you know, if I'm walking around the elementary and I see, hey, man, this kid just got taken out because of a behavior call or something, you know, I might follow back up with that teacher and say, Hey, is this an everyday thing? How can myself or my special ed consultant come in and support you? So I think it's first doing, um, inviting them in for all the great things you do because facilitators, teachers do great things every day with kids. Highlight that be your best advocate for yourself. And then I think, having those true, honest conversations, if there are things that are going on, you know, I would say starting out with your building administrator, but then, you know, if the building administrator doesn't know, asking if you can talk to someone else, because I do think having those conversations help you become a better teacher, a better facilitator, and the end result, it's better for kids. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So, the bell is rung. It's time to change classes and jump into our lesson lens. Uh, Matt, what did you think about that transition? Uh, you know what? I liked it. Well done, Ken. Uh, so, 
it's questions back and forth between Matt and I to bring a perspective on a specific lesson, unit, or project. So we've had guests take this in many different ways. So Kathy, feel free to dig back in the archives and tell us about a lesson that you used to love to do with your students as a classroom teacher or something that you've seen as an administrator. So question number one is, will we be looking at a single lesson, a long-term project, or a unit overview? So let's look at a, I, I would call it a long-term project. And was there a specific grade level, subject area, or time of year that this activity occurred? Elementary and throughout the year. All right. So what were the main objectives uh, or learning targets of the long-term project? Yeah, so um, this long-term project, it was working on um, social skills, but also working on some language-based um, and having conversations. So we took it to a real-life approach with this project that we worked on. Um, with language and then also some skills that we worked on each week in social skills. Going a little further, if you were to be in the role of a student, what would you actively be doing? Yeah, so um, what they were doing was putting to the, the skills that they were doing, they were doing it in real life experiences. So we were using each week we would target a skill and we'd also target a language skill that we were working on. And then they would put in a real life experience throughout the building, um, working with other adults. That's very cool. So uh, the, the teacher in the classroom, what was their role to help ensure the students were successful with these activities? Yeah, so they were the facilitator. And I know I keep using sort of teacher and facilitator as a, you know, as the same word, but they were really facilitating the learning. So once the skill was taught, um, during that week when they would you when they would work on this project across the building they would facilitate it so it wasn't that they were telling the kids hey go say this or go do this they would basically say okay you need to work with this person the learner would go in work with that person use the skills that they were targeting but then also get that feedback afterwards um, if there needed to be extra prompting and stuff there was um, but it definitely was more of a facilitation than a true, like the teacher, you know, stand and deliver. It was facilitating that learning, not teaching it again overhand. Can you give an example of one of the activities or uh, if there was a certain one that sticks out to you? Yeah. So um, what we did was um, it was creation of, and we've done it multiple years in a row, and it's using... Um, so I'll take the one that we did recently last year, and it was a snack cart. And so we took the lessons that the kids were learning, and then we worked it through. And the cool part was we started at one of our elementaries, and it went really well. And um, it then went to the next elementary, and then it transitioned to our middle school as a coffee cart. And so it was using the skills that, and we targeted the skills that the kids needed to learn through their IEP but then made each week, once a week, they would have a snack cart or a coffee cart or whatever and use those skills and have a checklist of what they did with each experience they had with a different adult. Because as everybody knows, it's one thing to learn the skill in the classroom. It's another thing to transfer it across all environments. And that's really what we were missing at one point. 
So we said, okay, how can we take those skills and now transfer them so they can do it with all different adults? And I think the kids, um, and I know Matt was part of one of them, um, one of the carts. I think when you saw the kids from day one and you knew the skills they were working on and transferring those skills throughout the year, by the end of the year, those carts were running on their own with us just monitoring the money, the everything. But the money, all those skills that we taught, it just made it so much more purposeful by adding this real life experience within the school. And it also gave facilitators a great look at all of our learners who they might not always interact with. It was a beautiful activity and I honestly miss the snacks every week. Um, but honestly, my class would shut down. Everyone be like, hey, it's snack cart time. Like, Mr. Rogers, you do not need to pay attention to us right now. Like, go. And so I would try to take too many things and they would have to like correct me or ask how much it costs. And it was an awesome interaction that was authentic. And honestly, not hopefully not a, a, a life skills in that classroom, but it was a life skill to have that interaction of, I have something to provide to you that you're seeking and enjoying. I'm looking forward to that verbal communication. Um, I frequently like what's new and they'd have to observe and kind of keep inventory. Um, I know there's another one not to, to spoil it, but they would do Thanksgiving dinner um, in the middle of the day, which is awesome. The kids would make place cards and you'd have to invite. So do writing activities to invite someone special. And then they would do taste tests of foods that they normally wouldn't try. Just some uh, incredible things. I guess to extend and kind of uh, go a little bit further is where could you see that going uh, even more authentic? Is there a way that you could see it expanding even further um, if you had your way of it being the very best version of itself? Yeah, I think um, just taking it into different ways. Um, you know, we've talked about school stores and how we could do those. We've talked about at our, it sort of transitioned all the way to the high school because we have a coffee shop in the high school that is run by learners. So, um, and an internship credit is given for that. So it definitely has went across all of our levels and sort of transitioned for the needs of the kids. I do think that, you know, even making it more authentic in our community and having community members work with us um, for some of those skills, because I do think that building that um, relationship with different community members, working with the factory, if it's through the food pantry or something, but I do think, you know, once you start building capacity with our community and trying to work with individuals, I think that even gives us some more authentic. So I think as we get better at it, building it out more into partnering with the community would be my really um, next step in that so that it's not just the facilitators that they see in the hallways, but it's community members also. That's great. And, and what I like about it too, that uh, you painted a picture very well about is it was this cart that was the facilitation avenue for these different skills throughout the year. And that speaks to exactly what you were saying earlier about being consistent, that consistency of your classroom structure or the way you teach in this cart, the kids were comfortable with the cart, I'm sure after a little while. And so then it was just a consistent avenue to explore and practice and learn different specific skills, but in an environment that they were, they were comfortable in doing so. So, so that's, re that's really neat. So our, our last 
uh, segment of the show is called the Exit Ticket. And it's four questions that Matt and I ask every guest every week. So question number one is, what is the best thing a teacher can do to make a student's school experience better? Um, I would say that the best thing a teacher can do is get to know the student for who they are. And um, also to build that relationship and know the kid inside of school and outside of school. When you can make a connection to something outside of school and they truly know that you care about them, I think that makes them want to come to your class every day even more excited to learn. Beautiful. So what is the best piece of advice you've received? And it could be from a colleague, a supervisor, or even a student. Um, I would say, um, I'll say, it'll be my, I'll use my interview because I always bring it up to Dr. Orndorff every time. Like, he's like, Kathy, do we really want to do that? Um, when I was interviewing for assistant principal, I walked into my interview. It was my second round. It was me and another guy or a guy. And I, and I sat down and I think he could tell I was a little nervous because I wasn't sure if I really wanted to be an admin. And now I knew I was in the last round of it. And he said, be yourself. And I think um, I bring that up sometimes when I'm probably pushing the limits of being an advocate for kids and families. I'm like, remember, you told me to be myself and being myself means I'm a true advocate for kids and families. If, if I like it or not, I need to advocate for them. So I would say be yourself. I think that's great advice. Um, you know, you want to try to do best in your classroom, but you always have to do what's best that you're most comfortable with. Um, you know, Matt and I have very different teaching styles. We have very similar styles as well. But if I try to be Matt, it's not going to it's not going to bode well for my students because I'm not being true to myself. So the school year goes in waves. There's very stressful times, especially for teachers, usually around conferences, report cards, state testing. Um, so what is something that every educator needs to hear in those moments to to power up uh, through that moment of struggle? Yeah, I think, number one, always knowing that what you're doing, you're making a difference in kids' lives. Um, and if you're making a, and I think knowing you're making a difference in kids' lives, um, you know, those really hard days you can get through. I think also knowing that you have to give yourself, and I mean, I'm, I have to take this advice for myself also, but knowing that you, it's okay to make the mistakes. And sometimes you need to own mistakes and also just, being okay with not only making mistakes, but also owning how great you do on those days when you're really rocking it and giving yourself credit for those days. Because I think we're sometimes our worst enemies and we're like, oh man, that lesson wasn't good, but the kids thought it was amazing. So earning, you know, owning those amazing times, learning from your mistakes and just um, again, being genuine to yourself and what you do. So last question, um, not to add anything else to your plate, but um, you are a, a safe space as a kind of a, a representation of admin. And if our audience were to want to connect with you, see what's going on, um, is there a best way to get in contact with you? I know you mentioned Twitter, um, but that you would feel comfortable with um, to, to kind of give your own perspective, continue that conversation. Yeah, um, you can share my email. Um, I definitely are, um, get back to my email. I try to be back with everybody within 24 to 48 hours. So if someone 
you know, had a question or just wanted some information or needed something, you know, my email, my work email is probably my best. I am on Twitter. Um, but I think probably if it was a quick something, um, definitely email me and I'll try to get back to you with the best advice or comments I can. Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing that, Kathy. And we will link to all of that in our show notes page, which can be found at poweredup.com slash show 19. Uh, this is, this has been a lot of fun. It's, I think it's been really insightful, really eye opening. Uh, I, I definitely appreciate the open conversation, uh, that we had, and I can see why Matt has a lot of respect for you because you clearly are making a big difference and a positive difference for your school district. So thank you for doing that because as you said, in the end, it's benefiting the students and the families in your community. So thanks again to our audience. Thanks for tuning in with us, whether you're on YouTube or your podcast platform of choice. Please make sure you hit that subscribe button if you have not. And if you could, head out to Apple Podcasts to leave us a, a rating and review so we can help reach new audience members and, and grow this, this podcast as much as we can. Please share this with another teacher that you think could benefit from listening to this or any of our other shows. So Kathy, thank you again. And Matt, why don't you take us on out of here? All right, so you did a great job, Kath, but we're gonna power down this episode. Uh, hopefully we leave you feeling powered up. Um, have a great week um, and, and do something special. We'll talk to you next time. Oh, 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 oh,